right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Henderson, and I'm joined, of course, I'll let you guys introduce yourself today. I don't need to say your names. Go for it. Hey, guys, Brandon Redlinger here. And I am Jonathan Stevens. That, that's the nice. that's the best he's he's sounded on the whole podcast so far. <laughs> that was it was actually a smooth bass. Like if, if Jonathan smooth. recorded recorded the overlay of like an old jazz soundtrack with that voice, it wouldn't really throw anybody off. I don't think. Um, all right, getting weird at the start. Anyways, <laughs> let's. We are going to do. It's it's been a bit of a hiatus. Actually, we haven't recorded mm-hmm. an episode in two or three weeks. We we had. Yeah. A backlog built up, and then we went on holiday. Jonathan went like scuba diving and all sorts of things, and <laughs> Brandon and I didn't do anything fun, but uh, we were on holiday nonetheless. So it's it's good to be back, and we're gonna like ease our way into the podcast because it's a bit hard to it, it, podcasting is hard. I don't know if people mm. know that. Listen, this is <laughs> I know we make it look easy, but you know <laughs> it's 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 pretty hard thing actually. <laughs> so we're gonna ease our way back in with a. Uh, office hours episode. So if anybody remembers, this will be our second office hours episode. We get a whole bunch of questions on LinkedIn via email. I get text messages asking me questions about revenue operations and it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. Send me those things. Um, but once in a while we do an episode where we plow through a handful of those questions just so that we can, we can make sure we're getting answers out to everybody. So do send them in. We'll get them back to you. And, uh, and when we do these, uh, Jonathan, Brandon, and myself each bring one or two questions and then we sort of talk through them together. And, and hopefully it's helpful to everybody listening in. Cause my guess is if one of our listeners has a question, there's a lot of other listeners that have the same or similar question. Very so true. office hours. Woo. Let's do it. Oh yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Super cheerleading. Um, all right. <laughs> who wants to go? Who wants to go first? Uh, I mean, I'm happy to go first. All right, tee it up. Right. Let's do this. All right, let's see. Give me a sec. I, I I had a different one, and then someone sent me this question uh, the other day. So, and I like this one better anyway. Uh, okay, it says love the podcast. I spent most of my break break binging it and getting caught up. Thank you. Appreciate that. Nice. Uh, nice. Make yeah. sure to give us five stars. Thank you. Yeah, um, exactly. Sam, any, give us five stars. Um, so I love the pricing episode because I didn't have to listen to Jordan. No, just kidding. That's not what it says. Um, <laughs> I love the pricing episode because we're going through some pricing exercises right now. One thing that you touched that I would love to hear more about is your thoughts on discounting. As I dig into our data, I get the feeling that we're letting a lot of our reps discount too much. You said Mm. you had some strong opinions about discounting you want to save for a future episode. Mm. Uh, When will you be doing that episode? So that's that's the question that I got. Um, So honestly, we could probably (laughs) do a full episode on just discounting. Um, But yeah, it, it sounds... Okay, so... On that episode, I, I did kind of go off a little bit on reps that immediately give me the price and then in the same breath, give me a discount. And uh, I, I mean, so honestly, discounting is one of the biggest things that is robbing your company of revenue. Like, oh. that, that is honestly how I feel. So mm-hmm. if, if you look at it from like operational metrics lens, you know, discounting screws up your business economics so much. It, it's crazy. I don't, I don't mind discounting a little bit, but when I see reps discount for the sake of discounting or um, not using them sparingly or discounting too much, stuff like that, that absolutely drives me crazy. And it has bigger implications on the business than most people think. Right. Totally. Yep. Totally. The question to me seems like, what are like essentially, you know, obviously she wants a whole episode. We could probably do that for her at some point, but the, yeah. the question sort of seems, what are like some major 
things that you would have as considerations when you go into reviewing your discounting as a business. And, and I, I would actually start at the, the top level as, as, you know, the head of revenue operations, I would look at it as, you know, what sort of business model am I running? Uh, because if mm-hmm. I'm running a recurring revenue-based business model and I have some services that are a part of my, my contracts on a typical basis, I want, I want to tweak our discounting to typically apply only to those one-off sort of revenue streams, right? And so, so I, I want, of course, you want your reps to have some flexibility to discount. And part of this is deciding where should we, you know, as a rule apply that flexibility mm-hmm. and so for us at revenue io i would i tr- we train enable and, and require reps so that when, when you are doing discounting start by discounting the one-off revenue because recurring revenue is more valuable to us to our business as a whole long term right and and one-off revenue it's it's one-off revenue it, it is what it is it's great get money in the bank it's not that significant long term whereas recurring revenue is and so start start there what's important to your business from a from a discounting standpoint and that could change if you're if you're not a recurring revenue model depends on what your business model is right yeah once you've sort of got that buttoned up then go back to your financial model okay what what level of discounting are we seeing today on average in our contracts and what actually should we be seeing right if we're seeing an average of 25 percent discount across all deals i mean we we need to put firmer guardrails in place so our sales reps aren't allowed to do that and we need to decide what that guardrail reaches and maybe it's 10 percent, maybe it's 15 percent, whatever that is again you need some flexibility discount because assholes like me sorry for the french are going to come in and say yeah but what discount are you getting me Right. Like I I am always, I'm not signing a deal unless I get a discount. That is just Mm -hmm. factually accurate. And so you need some amount of flexibility. It also gives reps an answer to me, which is I, you know, this is the most discount I can do. Like factually true. My team will not allow me to discount more than 10%, which is great for them to have that to fall back on. And then finally, the other consideration I would put in forth, once you have those guardrails in place and you're enforcing it, enabling the reps. It, it goes back to sales training, right? You're not bringing discounts to the first call. You're, you're training them on how and when to identify places where you might be able to strategically use a discount to move a deal forward or get it pulled into a certain month or do so, things like that. But discounts should be used strategically. And that comes back to revenue operations, working with sales enablement to identify when those times are, map them out, and then train the crap out of your reps on how to do it. That would be my like mile high overview like i said i think we could do a whole episode on those three buckets but (laughs) (laughs) hopefully that's helpful for sam jonathan anything dad yeah i think on the other side of that too is you know a lot of reps are working on a quarter basis and working on quarterly goals so a lot of how they get paid and how they you know keep performing at their company is to close deals before quarter end so when there's that type of incentive to close a deal quickly you almost have to have some type of discounting in place to be able to accommodate for that, to allow the rep to have an avenue to close before end of quarter so they can hit their, their revenue goals. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I see that that's what happens, but I disagree that, that it, it has to happen that way. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, yeah. Right. Like we've just yeah. trained the market mm-hmm. to expect discount at the end of the quarter and no one is doing anyone any favors by just continuing to let that happen. So when I think about discounting, right, like price, what is, what is price to begin with, right? Yeah. Price is ascribing a unit, of, uh, a unit of measure to value, right? Price is an exchange rate of the value that you create. So, th- I mean, in the pricing episode that we did, we talked a lot about value-based pricing. What we didn't talk about, which might be another episode itself, is actually value-based selling, 
right? If you have everything lined up on your pricing that is value-based, but your reps can't actually effectively speak to it and do value selling, it doesn't matter what your, your it matters a lot less if you're actually yeah, doing value-based pricing. Because what, what somebody's saying to you, if you're selling them something for $95 a seat and they're saying, I want it for $85, they're telling you, you haven't sold me that this is value, as, as valuable as $95 a seat. That's what they're saying to you, right? This is only $85 worth of value, in my opinion, which means you haven't value sold that well enough. You haven't considered gotten them to understand the pain that it solves is this valuable, right? And that if your pricing is based on that, you should be able to do that without doing discounts. T- totally. I was, I was actually looking at one of the, uh, a thread in one of my product marketing communities and a guy left a note that was like, our product is so different than everyone else out there. Um, it should be more valuable. And my, my response was actually being different isn't differentiation, right? Yeah. Differentiation is about being different in ways that deliver value to your customer, right? If right. you don't understand your customer intimately, um, you know, it's extremely difficult to really know what they actually value. Mm-hmm. So right. if you have, think, if you have all of these extra features, but nobody's using them, they're worth $0 when you're pricing it. <laughs> and maybe the rep isn't doing a good enough job of handling the ROI situation and helping the customer understand how much ROI they're going to see out of their investment. So now they're just thinking, I'm going to dump all this money in and they're not really thinking about, okay, I'm going to get this money back out of it. Right. Exactly. Totally. So. And, and to your point earlier, Jonathan, to sort of circle back, I also think it's really important to tie your incentives to the behavior you want to drive from a discounting standpoint. So we talk about sales incentives in general. You know, like you say you're going back to, to us as a business model, right? And, and where recurring revenue is way more valuable to us as one-off revenue, which is true for all recurring businesses. If you're an recurring re- revenue company, that is just true for you. And so we actually at the company, you know, like typically, and I've done this at lots of companies, we, we will pay commission on one-off revenue, but it does not count towards your booking goal for the quarter. And so, like, we are incentivizing a behavior by saying, like, hey, you want to hit your quota, you got to do that through recurring revenue, because we as a business believe that that is that much more valuable. Now, I'm still going to pay you for closing their deal because you brought dollars to the company, right? Dollars to dollars. But at the same time, there's incentive plans you can use to drive the right behavior. So look at your sales comp plan and say, is this driving... Is this driving this discounting problem? Because that could also be happening. Maybe maybe you're comping based on total deals won. Oh my God, huge problem. I'll discount everything 90% if I'm getting paid the same either way, right? right and exactly. so tying your incentives to, to the behavior you want to do on pricing is super, super important. Yeah. And also paying attention to, it's kind of a case-by-case basis. Because if you're, you've got this huge juggernaut company that's got a ton of seats that they're going to pay for eventually, and maybe they just want to start out with a small subset, then... You know, that's going to give you a little more incentive to try to get in the door as opposed to letting a competitor sneak in with a lower price as opposed to like if somebody's just a smaller company with a one-off type one-year investment, then, you know, that's probably less likely that totally. you'd want to discount it. Totally. Cool. It, totally. So, I, I, go ahead. I was going to say some, some of the other things that I think I would encourage Sam to do here when she's looking at her data, just look to see if certain reps are discounting more than others or certain geos or maybe it's certain products that are being discounted. Um, And then I I do think it's a good exercise to go back and look at your whole pricing model again, right? Like, Like we said before, people don't pay enough attention to their pricing. There was actually a Price Intelligently uh, study out there, and they showed that people pay more attention to stocking toilet paper in the bathrooms than they actually spend every year, um, hour-wise, looking at their pricing models, right? <laughs> yeah. 
totally. Which is which totally. is insane. Yeah. Yeah, and you need to look at it like, are we discounting commercial 40% and enterprise 10% because enterprise is using way more features and they're seeing more value out of it, right? And then that scenario, you'd look at, oh, great, our pricing model's wrong. Maybe we need a different package that's a subset of features that we can sell to commercial so we don't have to discount the same way, right? So you're, you're identifying those gaps. All right, anything else on this one? I think we got to move on. We're, be- we're beating this discounting thing to death. We'll probably have to do a whole episode on this. <laughs> yeah. well, Sam, Sam, got, Sam got the longest answer. All right, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, also when I'm thinking about discounting, um, I mean, w- one of the things that I've always been trained to do is think about, um, think about the audience, right? Do you need to create a lower tier so that mm-hmm. uh, you have a, 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 a product that actually matches more the price range that they're looking for. Um, I also really encourage people, instead of discounting, adding more value. So business economic-wise, it makes more sense for me to say, let me give you one free month. You're paying the full 12 months, but I'm going to give you a free 13th month than to say, I'm going to give you 10% off or 15% off. Because right. you're going to have that customer mm-hmm. for four years at the MRR of the other 12 months. Right? It, it, so it makes more sense financially. Exactly. Otherwise, like if... Yeah, if you're offering discounts, you have lower willingness to pay on your customers, um, there's higher churn. Price Intelligently also came out with a study that said um, uh, companies that um, get high discounts are three times more likely to churn. Um, and then mm-hmm. it really affects your CAC and your CAC payback. And we'll, we'll have to, uh, I'm, I'm hitting Mark Clip. It's a new feature in our, I, I won't work for me. Oh, I did. It worked. Um, we're going to have to link those, we're going to have to link those things that you just referenced now. So I'm just marking that spot for our audience. We'll put those links in for everybody. Well done, Riverside. Brandon, I, 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 can see, I can see Brandon, I can see Brandon reading the article as he's saying this. So I, he's, he's got the link handy. All right. You said one more thing and then we're moving on. What's the that's last thing? No, that's it. That, that was oh, it. that's it? Oh, all right. All right. So we'll link the article. Cool. Super, super, super helpful. Sam? Hopefully that answered your question. We, we can do a whole episode. Email us if it wasn't sufficient or tell us we were wrong. Whatever. I don't care. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I'm going to go next because I might have two. Um, all right. So this one would be maybe a bit more fun. And then I have another one that's like way RevOps related, but we'll kick to Jonathan after this. So oh, this one's from Florencia. Beautiful name. Hi, Jordan. I, I admire your professional career. Always start with flattery, by the way. I would yeah, exactly. 100% <laughs> the way to Jordan's heart. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just, just, I am, yeah. I was like, yeah, you, you, this one gets answered. Um, <laughs> I, I am just starting out as a sales operations professional, and it'd be great if you could recommend any master's courses, books, or other courses that have helped you. Thanks in advance. And so basically I was thinking, I've actually seen this question a lot lately. Like what books have you read? I, you know, like that sort of thing that would be helpful to you in your career. And, and frankly, there's not a lot of like RevOps books out there. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no book saying like, here's how to RevOps, which maybe, maybe we need to write that. But um, yeah. also maybe that would be <laughs> the title, how to, how to RevOps. Email us if you would buy that book. We will write how to RevOps. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyways, so do either of you have a, a book top of mind that you would recommend to a young sales ops professional just starting out that was influential in your career? And I have a couple that I think are super important that, that are sort of sales ops related and stuff like that. So, but leaving it to you, Brandon, I know you, you love to talk about books. What would you recommend? <laughs> oh, sales ops related. Um, you know, I, this is the thing I took from this, by the way, is, is she mentioned she's just starting out in her sales operations profession as a sales operations professional. It, it's it, kind of like her first professional job. So so for me, I took it as like, if it's sales ops related, that's great. Also, if it's just going to be something that helps in her professional career, I think that's super valuable. Um, okay, so what, the, 
a, f- a few come to mind. Um, I sales ops specifically. Um, I love the book out there, storytelling with data. Um, I, I, it's been so long. I don't actually remember the author of that. We'll, we'll link it up. Um, storytelling with data because I mean, we've hit on this plenty of times before, but the data doesn't mean anything unless you can actually, uh, piece it together and tell a good story with it. Right. Data is data. Data is like useless by itself, but when you can actually draw some meaning and insights from it, um, and I think it's really important for RevOps uh, professionals specifically um, because you have to actually go and present that data and make compelling arguments so that you affect change internally, right? It's not just, here, I'm just going to show you the dashboard. I mean, they can just pull up the dashboard by themselves, right? But what does it mean and what are you as a revenue professional advocating for, you know? Yeah, driving, driving insights. Right, Exactly. And then the one other book I'll mention, I, I, I tell all salespeople, I tell all marketers to read this. It's Influenced by Robert Cialdini. I think it just gives you great insight into how people think. Really foundational uh, psychology principles that honestly, I go back to all the time. I reference all the time. Um, and I think it is a great foundation for anyone in sales, marketing, any revenue roles. Totally agree. Totally agree. Jonathan? Yeah, I'm less on the book side of the fence. Uh, I don't read a lot, so <laughs> I can barely read. I can barely read. <laughs> oh, man, I, this is our, our listeners going, yeah, that makes sense. But I will say, like, I am a research fiend. I will always go out on the web and just, you know, whatever question I have, I'll Google it and read all about it. It doesn't matter what resource it is. I'll, you know, I'll digest what I can. And so, so let's go with that. What do you, what do you, cause I, I actually know you do this cause you send me articles from shit all the time where you're like, this is the thing that we should be like, <laughs> what, what are, what are like some common places you go to look for that? Or where do you find yourself most frequently finding information that's valuable to you in ops? Um, man, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I wouldn't say there's one particular, I mean, I'm always on Salesforce resources, always, always reading stuff that Salesforce puts out. HubSpot's got great thoughts, thought content, and they're starting to get into the RevOps game. Um, those are two ones that I would Gartner for sure. Yeah. Gartner Forrester. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. four for me. I mean, sales. If you're just starting out in sales operations, Salesforce has got to be the ultimate resource. <laughs> it's got, yeah. it's yeah. got, it's got everything you could ever want to know about what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I'm such a practical person too. I, I just want to know how to do it. I don't necessarily want to like. I'll figure out the high level stuff from being in the weeds more so than starting the high level and then going into the weeds. So I kind of take an opposite approach than most people probably do. Yeah, it's probably why you and I work well together is because I go yeah. high level, you go low. I go high, you go low. Yeah, <laughs> nice. People, people listening wouldn't have thought that probably that I keep the high level. But, uh, <laughs> but here we are. Uh, you know, I like that. Yeah, they're good resources, right? And I think the number one thing is is my advice for a sales ops person who's looking to learn is, is Jesus, just Google everything. There's so much out there. Uh, you, can go find, you can go find the answer to any question you want on, on any of those resources. Googling is an underrated skill in general yeah yeah yeah. it really it really really is especially in our world go figure it out is important um Mm. cool and then the the ones that i that i would i would recommend are um i think it's really important for sales operations professionals to actually understand sales 
And I, and I think that's often totally. a miss is, is they don't spend time learning the sales. For what it's worth, I actually think sales operations should have sold most of the time at some point, like actually have experience what that is like. Um, so I, I like Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Mm-hmm. They, most sell, most sellers read that to learn sales. I think it's a really good thing for sales ops to, to read to learn sales. I also like the sales accelerator formula. Same reason. Understanding the sales process, understanding what sales that's like. Sales acceleration formula. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, and, and then um, um, I always recommend, because this was super formative to me in, in my career when I first started in sales ops, is uh, Scrum, the art of doing mm. twice the work in half the time. So, sales ops is an unbelievable amount of triage and project management. Scrum is wildly valuable to helping you set that up. Um, and then lastly, in this one is one I think that everybody should read, Five Dysfunction of the Team. I think that's, is that Patrick Lencioni? Lencioni, uh, yeah. Lencioni, yeah. That's Patrick a great Lencioni. One. Um, yeah. Unbelievable book. Yeah, super, super valuable. Also a really, really easy read. And when you're first starting out your career, it doesn't matter where you're at. You are going to ha- see dysfunctional teams. You're going to work cross-departmentally, cross-functionally with in, in situations where the work, and this is going to help you navigate those situations. So those would be the four that I that I actually sent her as my recommendations. But we will link all of those recommendations, minus Jonathan's, because we're not sending people to salesforce.com. Salesforce is Here you go, Salesforce. <laughs> 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 Not totally diminishing the value of your insight, but we can't link it. Um, anyways, um, cool. No, I think that's super helpful. So we got that all on the air. Everybody can stop asking us that. But I, I can give you one of my favorite books. As seldom as I do read, Made to Stick is a definitely a great one. Yeah, great. Um, I think I, I love that's that. That's more on the marketing side of the fence, but it applies to a lot of things, and it's really about ideas and how to make ideas stick. You know, I'm I'm just relieved you didn't come in with like The Hobbit. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take that was my Harry we'll, Potter. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm assuming those are like the, the trilogy is what you read. So, so um, all right, cool. Moving on, Jonathan. What's your question for the week? Yeah, so I got a pretty good one. It's more process oriented. Uh, so. Someone was wondering how you handle requests from others outside of your ops org. We have sales reps, CS reps, marketing reps, etc., who routinely have asked for us, but I'm trying to find the best way to organize them. We currently utilize cases in Salesforce, but I'm open to other programs as well that help with this. Ooh, I have strong so thoughts. I, yeah. I can't answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's because you're disorganized and chaotic over there. Um, and <laughs> I don't know how you guys handle, handle our, but, our asks. <laughs> this actually goes back to the thing I just said, which is Scrum, the art of doing twice the work in mm. half the time, was extremely valuable to me. I read that when I was like 24 and I have based project management on it ever since. And a lot of that is triaging how to how to do this stuff. Um, so so read that book first and foremost, because it's wildly helpful. It also helps you understand how engineers work, which is which is very, very helpful when you're in a software company. Um, mm-hmm. And no matter your business size, super valuable. But uh, the I we use Asana with a with a ticketing system, essentially. Now, now I know you can use Salesforce, uh, you know, ticketing system to do that. I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's as manageable as mm-hmm. Asana is. And then we use, we actually use from, you know, essentially the scrum principles of agile workflow. We do a daily standup and we, we meet it for a longer meeting at the start of the week. And we, we break down what we want to accomplish for that week. We go through everything that's been requested. We assign it out to the appropriate people, check in every morning, just a quick 15 minute Hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what my blockers are. Here's what I'm working on. Here's when we get done today and and mm-hmm. work through that. And it allows me as the person, you know, sort of leading this because when I go into our sauna, 
I have requests from the CMO and the CEO and, and sales reps and marketing people and CS team and just across the board. And I can triage out where those need to go and actually see before we start working on things, what's been double requested, what things are combative with one another, because people might be requesting things that that don't align with the way we're thinking. And it allows me to like make sure that all of our teams are aligned from an operational standpoint by having that sort of funnel point from our project management standpoint. Um, and then I don't have to do most of the work because I have Jonathan and Matt on our ops team to say, hey, this is what you're going to work on. Today. <laughs> you go do it. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then the, the stand-up is helpful because it allows us to all learn. So when we assign things over, we go, hey, this is the thing that, you know, Jonathan's going to be really good at doing. He knows how to do this. Hey, by the way, let's talk through what that looks like because Matt and I need to know how to do it as well. Um, so it gives you that space to, as your entire ops team, align and all learn and grow with each other, which is super, super valuable. So yeah, that'd be my answer. I, Get it Use a ticketing system. Use a scrum. Uh, and I'll add to that, too, is if you're doing that in Salesforce, you're essentially siloing out your project. You're essentially saying this is for anybody who's a Salesforce user, mm-hmm. and they're the only ones who can see it. And then all of your other business units are kind of in the dark on what you're working on or how to prioritize. So I think it's so important nowadays to make sure all of your teams are collaborating together in a project management tool like Asana. Yeah, totally. You, and especially we have listeners that are enterprise companies, right? Mm. This scales. You need to scale project management because when you get to the point of having 20 ops people and a thousand sellers and, you know, 500 people across the board, whatever that looks like, you need to be able to scale your operations in a way that's going to be manageable. And that's going to be subsets of teams all managing different projects in Asana, but you're going to have visibility like crazy across the organization into everything that ops is doing. People request things will have visibility. They'll get updates. It's going to be super powerful for you. So it doesn't matter if you're a 20 person company or a 5,000 person company, get a good project management tool, use some of those like sort of daily standup practices and that to manage the workflow and triage everything out. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't miss. Oh, good. I was just going to say uh, on, on, on the Asana front, um, some things that drive me crazy about Asana sometimes is when people don't assign dates or people don't assign people mm-hmm. or when people don't actually tag people in the comments. Like I, I think those things get lost. The other thing I really like about your what you guys do is actually that daily scrum, right? Because the scrum is such a good way to hold people accountable, but also support each other along the way, right? It's not just hey, we're going to check in one every Monday and assign these tasks out. It's an ongoing conversation. And I, the, the thing I notice about high-functioning uh, high teams is they're always ruthlessly prioritizing their tasks, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that, is what, that is one function of Asana that I like is you can, you can say this is a P1, a P2, a P3. Um, and then just as, as long as everyone knows what, exactly what that means and then Make sure there are dates aside. That's another one that drives me crazy because I think most people organize their day based on the date, the due date, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't assign a due date, it's going to get lost entirely. Yep. Totally, totally. And the the other piece of that is is me as the RevOps leader. It allows me when I get an ask from you know somebody in the C-suite, hey, when is this going to get done? I can go into Asana and say, oh, it looks like we have the next four days mapped out. It looks, I think we'll get to that on you know next Wednesday. That'll be done. Is my here's projection. what's ahead I have of it. Those, like here's right. the priorities. Here, here's ahead what's ahead. I'll move other things around. I can see that. I can, exactly. I can triage. And yeah. Everybody has visibility that technically they don't even have to ask me. They could go see. Very true. Just send them a link. Done, right? Which is super <laughs> valuable. So. Yeah. And I think that scrum is so important too, because if you do have a question, it's hard to be an individual trying to come up with what I need to prioritize. So sometimes it's great to just as a team talk about what you need to prioritize, what's most important, what can fall off a little bit. So 
Totally. Totally. I mean, it, it, it's it's and, and by the way, that's why we we do ours in the morning. We do it as early as we can because Jonathan sleeps in, and I accommodate that. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> I got <Jonathan>. <laughs> <laughs> We we used to we used to do it at like eight thirty. Now we do it at nine thirty, so that Jonathan's awake gross. for it. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I I'm still online earlier than that. But what's important about that is it's before the day starts, so you're not already in the middle of working on something. When I say, hey, by the way, I actually need you to pump the brakes on that because there's this other project that comes in that we're going to prioritize over everything. Here's what I need from the team on that, right? And then we chop it up and work through that. It's important to do that before the day starts because as an ops professional, man, it sucks when you're like three hours into a project thinking you're going to finish that day and somebody just cuts you off and says you're doing Mm. something else for the rest of the day, right? (laughs) And so you want to be, you want to respect that no matter what. It's a great question. Anyway, any other thoughts on that? No, I think we got a, Got a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. And we might need to do a whole uh, whole new episode on PM sometime, but it's we'll a PM is a PM is a skill set that's required Ooh, to be an ops yeah, for sure. It really is. Um, all right, I have one other question that maybe it's going to be too long, but we're going to read it and see if we can get to it anyways. Um, it's a long question, and then I'll try to summarize it. So, all right. I am hiring for a Salesforce admin. I'm having a hard time determining what they do versus what I do, and this is coming from somebody who is a director of RevOps. Do I meet with stakeholders, gather requirements, feedback, and then give my Salesforce admin marching orders? Once I hire them, do I turn over the keys to the castle and then gone are the days of me working in Salesforce? And additionally, is my expectation is the person I hire will handle the entire sales tech stack, including tools like lean data, revenue IO, et cetera, et cetera. What should be my expectations of how this relationship works between director of RevOps, Salesforce admin? Which I'm going to give a, is a d- t- dense question. <laughs> I'm going to give the most generic answer possible. What do you want it to be? So it's a good answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the best answer you've ever given on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Say more words about that. I mean, if if that person wants to be out of Salesforce, if they don't have desire to be in in Salesforce doing the dirty work, that's fine. But I mean, personally. I would love to always have some part of that because it, you know it, it it's what makes me tick. I love solving problems and putting puzzles together. So it's part of, like I'll always be at some point in some capacity inside of the tools making sure it's working and all that. So I think if you want to take that higher approach and not be in there at all, that's one thing, but it it really is it's what makes you tick at the end of the day. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's where are your strengths too, right? So if mm-hmm. as a director of RevOps, your strongest thing is your ability to admin Salesforce. You don't want to be out of that altogether because you want to do things that you enjoy. And if you're good at it, mm-hmm. it means you probably enjoy it. So, um, but, but at the same time, one of the things that caught me in here that threw me a bit for a loop is like, do I meet with stakeholders, gather requirements, and then give them to my Salesforce admin? Man, I do not recommend mm-hmm. that. That is, no. that is, that no. is a chain. That is a siloed chain of communication that is going to break down and so you know and I, I try to do it here pretty pretty much all the time is if I know I'm going into any sort of meeting where I think there's going to be requests for Salesforce or requests for any of our tool stack I invite the rest of the RevOps team and and we'll have Jonathan and Matt sit in on those meetings with them and, and just get the requirements straight from the mouth that way we can talk to them together and if it's something that's like maybe HubSpot related, so it's really Jonathan's baby, I want him to be in the meeting to say, ah, you know, that won't work because of X, Y, Z. I don't want to have to be the intermediary telling them, oh, I don't know if that'll work or not. Jonathan mm-hmm. knows whether or not that's going to work. I want him there to say that. And so I wouldn't yeah. recommend structuring it that way. I would get them involved with everybody that way. That way it's like they have a resource in the ops team in general and they know other folks on the ops team. Also, you're making yourself a single point of failure and that's a bad mm-hmm. practice. So so Andrew, I, th- I think not- to your... 
Sorry, and you're not including that Salesforce admin in anything. So now they're feeling kind of out of touch with everything and they're feeling like they're maybe not that important. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Brandon, thoughts? Yeah, so as you guys were talking, it was like, um, I don't care so much as the, so I care most about what the company needs from that Salesforce admin more than what are the skills of the person you're hiring, right? So it's like, does does the company really need someone to be taking over all the, the entire tech stack as well? If so, then make sure that that's one of the things that you're screening for when you're hiring, right? So it's it's less, let me find someone that I really like and try to fit them into the organization. It's what does the organization need most right now? Let me clearly define that in the beginning. Let me make sure that I can screen for that. And then once we get that right person, yeah, it they fit right into the organization uh, where you need them. In some ways you can just be adaptive. You can just say, okay, I'm going to bring this person in. I know they've got talent. I know they know their stuff, but let's just feel it out. Let's spend a few months working together in this and then figure out at that time, how much can be taken off my plate and how much I want to do versus what they do. Totally. Also, also the only other thing that I would note on this, and I think we're probably at time and everybody's probably bored listening to hear Salesforce things over and over. <laughs> um, but, but one of the other questions in here was once they once they start, do I turn over the keys to the castle? No, mm-hmm. absolutely not. <laughs> Take yeah, your yeah, time. Exactly. <laughs> Make sure that it's yeah. the right fit. Like for everybody involved, you don't want to dump too much too early. Like slowly ramp them into the role. Make sure that you can turn things over that strategically, you know, you need to get off your plate and that they're going to be strong at using and, and sort of figure that out as you go because you're going to have to feel it out. I mean, you can't just hire a Salesforce admin and be like, they can control all technology. No, they can't. They, they, Salesforce admins are wonderful talented at Salesforce and you're talking about a lot of other tools. So they will, they will learn those, but you're going to give them some time to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. You're almost, if you're going Salesforce admins don't typically work with outside tools. So like they may work in a lean data or, you know, a Claudingo or one of those types of tools, but it's really, your tech stack's really going to dictate who you hire. Like if you're just Mm -hmm. hiring somebody to specialize in Salesforce admin, you might want to make sure you're not really needing somebody who's more sales operations. Yeah. And the, the only thing I would note is if you want to hire somebody that's Salesforce admin, because that's the most important piece, they are going to be tech savvy as all hell. So sure. you, you yeah. they will they will learn those other tools and you can teach them to them and hand them off. But it's going to just be a little bit slower, mm-hmm. which is fine. It'll be good growth for them. Yeah. All right. Any other last thoughts? Did we have any other questions? I, I know I had <laughs> well, I, two. I, I always I, I have to talk the most, of course. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I had I had one other question, but it's also a meaty one that I think John Jonathan's going to love because it's attribution. But we'll save that for mm. next office. All right, yeah, okay. yeah. We're, 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 uh, we had a, we just did a whole episode on attribution. Did we not answer that question? Well, the, the, she she did listen to that episode, and she's like, "Oh, it was it was a follow up question. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a follow up question. <laughs> oh no, we're gonna do that one another day. All right, everybody, we are we are, we are done for the day. Um, please send us your questions. I really enjoy these office hours ones. They also mean no prep work for me, which is fun. Mm. Um, so, so if everybody can send me your, your this week on LinkedIn questions, I would love to read them. We'll make sure to get to all of them. We answer most of them. Let, let us know if you even like these office hours too. Like we could do more, we could do fewer. Eh, I don't care if they do or don't. No, I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> making our life a little easier today. So. I just go talk to Florencia. She gives me comments or compliments. So uh, anyways, 
everybody, thank you for listening. If you love the episode, give us five stars on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to send us your questions, feedback, thoughts, and we will see everybody next week. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys.